This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, September 25th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Jake Neer in Detroit, in for Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Unifor ratifies a deal with Ford in Canada. Details on what the membership approved coming up. We take a look at the cost of the UAW strike to the economy. And President Joe Biden and Republican presidential frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, battle for the union vote. Plus, our own Michael Martinez talks about what the Unifor contract might mean for the UAW's negotiations here in the U.S. I do think one thing that'll catch UAW members' attention, whether rightly or wrongly, is the pension improvements in Canada. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Unifor members at Ford of Canada voted by a slim majority to ratify the tentative collective agreement struck last week between union negotiators and the automaker. Membership approval of the three-year deal locks in substantial wage gains and pension improvements for workers. It will also see Ford invest to expand production at one of its Windsor, Ontario powertrain plants starting in 2025. Unifor, the union representing Canadian auto workers, said 5,600 members at Ford workplaces in Canada voted on the deal over the weekend. 54% voted in favor. Union President Lana Payne said the Unifor bargaining team pushed Ford on every front to secure a contract that will, quote, change lives in a profound way. She said it transforms pension plans, provides protections during the EV transition, and includes the highest wage increases in the history of Canadian auto bargaining. The benefits will be immediate. Hourly wages for workers with four or more years at the automaker will rise 13.6% overnight following ratification. Two and three percent wage increases are also included at the start of the second and third years of the deal. For new workers, starting wages will immediately increase 22%. Ford Canada CEO Bev Goodman said the deal will ensure the company's Canadian operations continue to deliver. She also said the contract invests in employees. Meanwhile, the UAW's historic strike against the Detroit 3 is now in its 11th day, and the first week alone is projected to result in $1.6 billion in economic losses. That's according to estimates by East Lansing, Michigan-based Anderson Economic Group. On Friday, 38 parts distribution centers across the U.S. joined the strike, so that amount is expected to grow rapidly. So far, the losses have been concentrated in Michigan, Indiana, Alabama, Kansas, Missouri, and Ohio, where plants have been shuttered over the strike. Last week, the UAW expanded its strike to include General Motors and Stellantis parts distribution centers in 20 states. Ford was spared in that round as negotiations progressed. More than 18,000 workers are now on strike. The strike against GM and Stellantis parts distribution centers that package and ship parts used to repair customers' vehicles takes aim at dealership service department's ability to repair and maintain vehicles. And that part of the business can account for at least half of a store's annual profits. 
Stephanie Brinley is Associate Director of Automotive Intelligence at S&P Global Mobility. She wonders how the union's latest actions will play out with the public. Brinley said, quote, it is unclear how much patience an average consumer will have if they cannot get a vehicle serviced. Some dealers around the country have been stockpiling vehicle inventory and boosting parts supply across the Detroit Three brands. Coming up this week, President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump are both scheduled to visit Michigan. The appearances give the men a chance to appeal to blue-collar voters as the UAW strike threatens the economy in a battleground state. On Tuesday, Biden plans to join striking UAW members on the picket line. He calls himself the most pro-union president in history. Then on Wednesday, Trump hosts an event in suburban Detroit with auto workers and other union members. He's the frontrunner among Republicans in the 2024 presidential race. Finally, a former Nissan and Gulf States Toyota executive is joining AutoNation as its new COO. Jeff Parent will start October 16th. He will be paid an annual base salary of $800,000, receive a one-time sign-on cash payment of $1.5 million, and participate in the company's annual incentive compensation program. According to a regulatory filing, AutoNation also is issuing him various one-time stock payments and making him eligible for annual performance-based stock compensation. The company said Steve Quack, COO of Franchise Businesses for AutoNation, will leave the company at the end of December to pursue another opportunity. And those are today's headlines. So, Jamie, is it surprising to you that uh, Unifor was able to reach a deal with Ford uh, in this time frame? You know, a little bit. Maybe reaching the deal wasn't so much of a surprise ratifying it maybe it was a little bit. We knew that Ford was making good progress. They have good labor relations and Unifor chose them, citing the progress made at the local and committee levels. You know, they reached an agreement in a pretty timely fashion, uh, but sometimes you get those quick agreements and the workers voted down, hoping they get a little more back from the company. This was a pretty close vote, uh, but it did go their way. It did go toward ratification and That was interesting and and at least a little bit of a surprise. Well, coming up, we're going to talk more about Ford's new contract with Unifor and what it means for negotiations with the UAW here in the U.S. Our own Michael Martinez joins us next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. 
Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Jake Neer. We're still digging through Unifor's new contract with Ford, but one thing that is certain, this is a development that will affect ongoing talks between the UAW and the Detroit Three here in the U.S. Our own Michael Martinez covers the UAW and Ford for us at Automotive News and has been looking at the ways that could play out. Michael Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. You're a regular now, of course, uh, in the midst of these UAW talks. One of the most important developments in the UAW negotiations took place over the past week or so, and it did not involve the UAW, at least not directly. Unifor in Canada uh, reached a tentative agreement with Ford, and then over the weekend, they ratified it pretty narrowly, 54% in favor, but that's a deal. It presumably establishes a pattern for Unifor and the Canadian auto workers, but it also sort of sets the cost of labor in some ways for uh, the U.S. and and the rest of the industry. What do you make of it, or why maybe should we be cautious about uh, drawing conclusions from this Unifor deal? Well, I think it was a strong deal in some respects, but I don't know that you can really compare apples to apples with what you should expect out of the UAW moving forward, simply because the labor cost structures are just fundamentally so different between the two countries. First of all, you look at the footprint for Ford, they're dealing with 5,600 workers in Canada. They have 57,000 in the United States. Yeah, isn't that about the size of the Michigan assembly plant that's on strike? <laughs> exactly, right? One plant. So they don't also don't have to worry about profit sharing, right? That's not part of Canada's contracts with Unifor. So the companies don't essentially lose that money off of their bottom line to the workers every year. Secondly, in Canada, they have nationalized healthcare. So from a company perspective, they don't have to spend as much money on healthcare costs, which is a huge liability for them in the United States, topping a billion dollars a year for each company of the big three. So it's really hard to compare the two because of the size in Canada, because of the special aspects of their deals. Maybe you have more money as a company to throw in the retirement healthcare pool or retirement benefit pool than you do in the United States or to the COLA formula than you do in the United States. So 
you can't just automatically assume that what they got in Canada can be replicated word for word in the United States. Sure. Very different environments, different labor economics. But, you know, both had a situation that was functional and profitable, and now they're negotiating new contracts. So as a, you know, the the delta, the incremental change from one to the other, uh, we saw nominally 15% raises, but with all the other funky elements thrown in, it's pretty close to 19% over three years. Of course, another thing that doesn't exactly line up is that Sean Fain's talking about a contract that goes to uh, May 1st, four and a half, almost five years away. Uh, so there would be five rounds of pay increases instead of three. So maybe instead of a, you know, 15 to 19 sort of percent, we're looking at more like a 25 28, something like that, if if the economics flow through, which, as you noted, different environment, different circumstances. I wonder how that plays, though, with the UAW members. You know, they're asking for, you know, 18 or 20 percent up front and then, you know, 5 percent or maybe 4 percent a year after that. It's like they took almost half in Canada, just a 10 percent nominally up front, I guess, arguably 13.6 is the effective change. Um, but then just two and 3% for the later years, it's a, a lot thinner than what the UAW has been pushing for. Do the UAW members, if they were hoping for, if they were truly believing they were going to see something like 18 or 20 up front and then four and five in the later years, they should probably be pretty disappointed to see the Unifor accepting basically half that each year. Yeah, I think from the UAW member perspective, it, it is a little disappointing. Uh, but again, you have to keep in mind with the exchange rates and everything up in Canada, Unifor in some ways is is only catching up to where the UAW is right now. I think if you do the conversion, even with the COLA formula added at Unifor, the conversion works out to maybe you know, 33, 34 bucks per hour top rate at the end of this deal. UAW is at 32, right? So in some ways, Unifor is catching up. Uh, but I, I do think one thing that'll catch UAW members' attention, whether rightly or wrongly, is the pension improvements in Canada. You saw across the board, whether for new hires, current hires, retirees, better pensions, more money into those plans. And crucially, there's an opportunity for current hires to convert from a defined contribution plan, similar to the 401ks in the States, to what they're calling a defined benefit plus pension plan. So if I'm a UAW member, initial reaction is, oh, they got pensions. We want them too. They've been non-starters so far. Maybe that's on the table. But the devil's really going to be in the details. If you look at the current defined contribution plans, the companies are contributing 4%. After this deal, they will contribute 7%. Back in the States, 401k plans, companies are already contributing 6.4%, right? So it's, uh, again, uh, an area where Unifor is sort of catching up to the States. And this conversion from the DC to the DB pensions, right? If you follow me there, we don't know. It looks like it's the same sort of contribution so I'm not sure what the difference is there for the company. Devil's going to be in the details there, but maybe that's something that the UAW members would latch on to. It was 
I mean, almost Orwellian uh, use of language there. They said we're they're converting to a defined benefit plan, and then they only defined the contributions. They did not define what the benefits are, and that's the key. When twenty twenty five, the the conversion actually happens in twenty twenty five. So, what are they going to have at that point? Is it a you know, is it a two thousand, three thousand, or more dollars per month? You know, which still would be a big drop in lifestyle for you know auto workers, or is it even something even smaller than that? Is it is it really just based on you know how many years you've worked? It's a a really interesting choice by Ford to make that move in Canada, which may or may not really cost them much there, but it definitely undermines the argument that a defined benefit pension is a no-go with the UAW because that's absolutely they're going to demand. If you can do it for them, you can do it for us. I agree. Uh, although it is, we should point out that Ford and the rest of the companies in the States are also offering to sweeten the current pension plans they have for those longtime workers that were hired before 2007. So they're they're offering to, to sweeten that deal. They're offering to sweeten the 401k plans. Their argument that they've made very vehemently to, to everyone who will listen is that we can't just give everybody a pension again. Uh, again, undercuts it a bit with Unifor, but maybe not once we find out the details. Yeah, so much uh, left to be determined and left to be understood about the deal in Canada and of course, <laughs> how it's going to get worked out here in the States. Do you have any takeaways from the size of the ratification bonus is, you know, $10,000 Canadian. That sounds like a really huge number. Of course, it's uh, translates to about 7,500 US dollars, sort of a, a little more than Ford is offering currently. Yeah, I, I would just be careful with that as well, because the UAW members specifically have voiced complaints over ratification bonuses and lump sums as opposed to general wage increases. So even if to their detriment, I think they may argue for, we'd rather take it in a raise, give us a smaller ratification bonus. And they're a little leery around that too, because in the past with the leadership that they've argued was corrupt and in the company's pockets, they say, oh, they're just tossing us a ratification bonus to buy our vote. So they're leery of that in the States. I'm not sure if you should expect as much or more compared to what Unifor got. Michael Martinez, UAW reporter for Automotive News, also covers Ford Motor Company and, and so much else. Thanks for your time, Mike. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer in for Kellen Walker. Thanks to Alicia Anderson, as well as our own CJ Moore and Mark Holmer for their reporting for today's podcast. Today's episode also includes reporting from David Kennedy at our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada, as well as Dustin Walsh at our sibling publication, Cranes Detroit Business. You can get the latest news on the UAW strike, ratification votes, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with writer and Harvard Kennedy School visiting fellow David Zipper about why he's so bullish on micromobility. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.